Who do you know here? I'm Elizabeth Rowetter. I'm Paige Jones. And I'm Finn Naylor. This episode will operate the same as the first, only this time you'll hear recordings from Alpha Phi Alpha, Theta Phi Alpha, and Sigma Chi. Thank you all for your patience and for listening and giving great feedback from our first episode. If you haven't heard the first episode, please listen to it before this, as it gives an explanation to this project. You can find it on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We will begin this episode with our recordings from Alpha Phi Alpha. I'm Lyndon, um, also a senior. I also live in the Shepherd House, 141 St. Clair, the Alpha Phi Alpha theme house. I serve as the vice president of the chapter. Um, so we wanted to start off by talking about physical space on campus. Um, what does this house mean to you? Describe what goes on um, in this space, upstairs, in the entire house. Um, do you think this structure plays a part in your social power um, based on like its location on campus? Uh, facade, so that's like kind of an architecture term, yeah. but a lot of the fraternity houses on campus have like, are like the largest houses and have the most like grandiose and extreme like facade, yeah. the front. Structures. Yes, um, and accessibility, like physical accessibility and can do people feel comfortable? I feel like these are some thoughts that I've had in my mind for as long as I've been living here now, yeah. but I really haven't had anybody to talk to about it. Um, being that we are the first black Greek letter organization on campus, this house means a lot to us considering the fact that we are one of the only chapters in New York State to have a house to ourselves, a uh, physical presence for us to be a part of. Um, so that says a lot about um, how, who we are on campus in terms of uh, making a statement on a racial perspective, uh, potentially creating opportunities for other uh, social spaces of color to, you know, uh, feel a part of this campus, but however, in terms of Greek life, it becomes interesting that we are placed specifically on St. Clair Street, where uh, what campus knows as Frat Row is South Main Street, which right. is literally on the upper side, other right. side of campus. Right. Um, I think that was a meticulous move. Um, being that we were new, however, um, I just, I find it interesting, you know, I, right. and I think that it, it kind of deters us from having, being that we are already a black Greek-lettered organization strays us away from most of the demographic on campus, and being that we are on the other side of campus in terms of where Greek life is and where we are, strays us even more socially, yeah. um, and kind of, it, it's, it could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing in terms of uh, just getting a little more exposure towards not only uh, students on campus but communities of color because they're straying towards uh, that role, but at the same time, it, it forces us to be diligent in the sense that we have to be attentive to our surroundings. We have professors that live around us, so we can't be, um, not saying that we want to be, but we can't be as loud and raunchy as everybody else can, you know? So I think it, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, but it kind of defines who we are and what we are in this space. And you didn't choose this, this was given to you. They, they want to be able to give us a space, and in terms of what happens in this space, it's, it's, it's unique because... We, we have our meetings here. Everyone in the, in the house is part of the fraternity. So instead of, you know, trekking all the way to uh, the scaling center to go to the creative room, you know, we can have our meetings in the house. 
we can cook together, we can watch TV together, hang out together. And then echoing what Lyndon said, you know, the fact that we were blessed with this space, uh, the school was so gracious enough to offer us a, a space to commune, it adds a different dynamic, right? Students aren't necessarily always going to the bar and the CC every weekend. Sometimes Lyndon will just hop on, you know, the discs and play some music and people will come out and it's just, we're not having a party, but people will just come, enjoy themselves, play some music and hang out. Yeah. Um, so it's an extra space for us to be able to have with uh, not only ourselves to have our own private space, but also the broader HW's community and particularly the students of color on campus. Right. Okay. So your house literally acts as a bridge and a community meeting point for not just people of color, but would you say that just any kind of minority group or just specifically people yeah, of color? Yeah, and I think particularly where we're situated, right? Um, we're right, right, we're on St. Clair, um, next to a lot of the residence halls, as well as, you know, our neighbors are, are Q Block and the Angela Davis theme house, right? So everyone is here. We've coordinated a right. barbecue uh, at the beginning of the year, and we're coordinating something else in the fall and in winter um, together, right? And, and some of the, because of where we are and where we're situated, we then wanted to know if the rules of living in a theme house differed from the rules of living in a fraternity house. I think it's just the regular, the regular theme house rules, right? So there's seven beds in this, in this okay. house. You need to have at least five. Mm -hmm. um, if not, the schools want to place someone here. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's a fraternity house, mm -hmm. air quotes, right? They'll give us the choosing, so it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that they'll just randomly plug and kind of pick someone. Yeah. Um, that we're close with or within the organization, but it's just kind of weird. It's better for us to have the space just for ourselves. So when we have the meetings, you know, we don't have to say, hey, you know, don't come home tonight for about an hour because of the meeting. Paige then asked how they think they're perceived on campus. In the perspective of those that are in the community and faculty members that live in the area, uh, one thing that they notice is our community service. For as long as we've been here, which was the fall of 2017, we've done numerous community service projects. We worked with many different organizations, not in on campus, but across Geneva. Um, we worked with Geneva High School, we worked with the Boys and Girls Club, NAACP, the African American Men's Association in Geneva. Um, we've done collaboration projects in Rochester. Um, we've worked on campus, we worked with different organizations on campus. Um, so I think our community service is something that is highlighted amongst faculty. Students, uh, well, uh, across the campus-wide, I think, uh, considering that we're a predominantly white institute, there's not much that is known about us um, because we are a black Greek-led organization that started in the fall of 2017, so we don't have that leverage as other Greek-led organizations that have been here for about 200 plus years. Yeah. Um, so uh, we don't have you know, the leverage of interest in, in like, knowledge. Um, and for communities of color, um, I think that we have um, a positive outlook, but at the same time, uh, people are pretty critical of us because of the fact that we are a black Greek letter organization. And if you look at our history, um, we have a lot of prestigious individuals who are a part of our organization, so they kind of expect us to do more than we are and we're just trying to get ourselves fully acclimated on the campus so it's kind of it, it depends on who you ask some people think that we're doing a lot we're doing a great job and especially in comparison to others we're doing a very good job and uh to students especially people of color on campus we could do more we should do more and our job um is to do more and help uh not only the students of color <coughs> to welcome on campus but help uh, make an impact to those in high school that don't know what they're going to do don't know what their plans are 
in the community who are subject to uh, the systematic racism and the systematic oppression that, that stems from them. And also we are making a slow but uh, conscious effort to help um, with women on campus um, and, and trying to uh, host programs that can help, uh, you know, not less about taking away the stigmatism of street life, but help them feel more safe and comfortable on campus regardless of what it has in street life. So um, that's just a part of our plans, but something that we are doing eventually. Yeah. Echoing some of those sentiments just once again, right? Um, we're new, so we're fresh, right? Um, and, and we do many different things in terms of our national programs, but also just our local community service, but also at the same time, roped under the umbrella of Greek life and what that means for some some people, right? For some people, it's just parties all the time. For some people, yeah. it's unsafe spaces. Mm -hmm. Irrespective of that fact, like that's how we're going to be perceived. Um, so not only reaching out and you know letting people know who we are, what we're about, I think one thing that a lot of people would agree is different organizations and clubs and things of that nature. And then on top of that, because maybe we're not so as well known, it's okay, well, what does go on in this space, right? This is your first time in this house. Um, it may look very different than what you originally thought. It may look exactly like you originally thought. Who knows? Um, the fact of the matter is we need to do a better job of letting people know who we are and how we kind of operate in, in you know, the space that they show to us. Edens described further their relationship with the other fraternities. So, so we've worked with um, a few frets um, on campus, uh, other fraternities, and we're, we're a little bit different, right? So HWS, all the fraternities, work under IFC, so that's the Interfraternal Council. We're the NPHC, so National Panhellenic Council. It's a little bit different, so we operate under different statutes and bylaws. So we, as organizations, have bumped heads a couple times in terms of, you know, us not being able to make it to necessary meetings, or, you know, we're doing an event that maybe clashes with a different event that another organization is doing. Um, so we, we bumped heads there, and we also just disagree on certain topics and issues, naturally, as everyone does. Lyndon helped us to understand the difference between the IFC and the NPHC. So the National Pan-Hellenic Council okay. is uh, the first nine black Greek letter organizations in America. Um, so they have their own council. If another, what we call D9 organization, um, the Divine Nine, comes on campus, then we don't have to partake in IFC meetings anymore. So, you know, like structurally, in terms of as organizations, we bump heads that way, but I think yeah. in terms of the interpersonal and knowing some individuals and, and certain organizations, yeah. like, you know, it's a little different, right? Because each other outside of just what letters you have on your house, right? Yeah. A lot of times it's just what house is doing what. It's like a weird way. It's kind of like Hogwarts talking about it that way, right? Um, but outside of that, right, in terms of actually connecting on a substantive level individually, no, it's different. Yeah. Here's Lyndon giving us background on how Alpha Phi Alpha came onto campus and how it's changing the cam campus culture. Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated was founded on the Ice Bowl Tuesday, December 4th, 1906, at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Um, ever since, uh, we've had, we are the, the top, one of the top 10 largest fraternities in the world, okay. in America at least, and um, we, uh, as cohort only fifth colleges, wanted to be a part of that for a really long time. Um, there were brothers of the fraternity on campus back in the 90s, okay. late 80s, early 90s, but they weren't a part of the Upsilon Pi chapter. They crossed at, um, in Rochester, 
They crossed over Rochester and Albany. Okay. Um, it was initially uh, Montrose Streeter's idea to bring a chapter to this campus. Um, and the way it works is that you have to contact nationals and nationals agrees, um, then yeah, go for it. The problem was uh, we, had, we got the charter for the chapter in 2014. Um, the problem was men of color on campus wanted to be a part of the organization but didn't have the grades or the finances to be a part of it. Um, so with Streeter make this happen and they were, they were willing to do whatever it takes. Luckily, um, when, by the time fall of 2017 came, we had at least 14 at most, not at most, at least 14 that were yeah. eligible to be a part of the chartering line of this chapter, the Upsilon Pi chapter. Um, it just so happened that after Mark Guerin left, uh, uh, Gregory Vincent was an alpha, so like it kind of pushed it even further. Mm -hmm. So it started with yeah. Guerin and Streeter, and then it went to Streeter and Vincent. Yeah. And um, in fall of 2017, we finally got the, the, the chapter started. And ever since then, uh, I then asked them about being in a fraternity and how it's affected their social lives on campus. I'll say I, I moved very different because um, Alpha Alpha Fraternity Incorporated started as a social studies club. That's, that was its original purpose. Um, and part of going through this process of joining the organization, you're learning history, you're just learning how to learn, essentially. And my grades skyrocketed, like after just from like learning how to take in so much information, how to study, you're taking a bunch of exams, and you're literally learning how to take tests, you're learning how to take notes. You're a weird brag, but like I learned how to study, I learned how to yeah, be a good yeah. student. Um, and they said, like, during the process, they're like, you guys are essentially signing up for an extra credit course, like in, in trying to do You don't this. get credit, and you don't get credit. Yeah, you don't get credit, you don't get okay. graded, but you know, if you do get graded, though, because you take, you know, you're doing these things, and you need to have a 90%. Right? That's what, yeah, that's oh, what, yeah, yeah. So yeah. in 89, it's failing. So you take so tests at the end. If you see a B plus, it's automatically anxiety, right? It, that, that, that's not what you're used to seeing. So there is a te like a physical test at the end. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 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 with that, in terms of like the difference on campus, um, I, I can tell you the first like you know, couple weeks or whatever was just like, you know, plus or minus. The joke was like I uh, basketball practice. How many times is Team Jamal like gonna be like up straight like saying yes sir and super attentive? Because it's just like a weird. You're like you're noticing things and you're noticing how to be a leader and work within the team. Like our other conversations with fraternities, we discussed party culture. Alpha had a different and interesting perspective. Of how we carry ourselves and uh, how we carry ourselves in our social spaces when we throw events and we throw parties and stuff like that. So I think that one thing that we do that solidifies ourselves um, from the rest of our peers is the fact that I don't think nobody notices, but we really do check in when we're at events. Um, so uh, having alcohol at events um, is very tricky because of insurance policies for one. So when we do, we gotta make sure that, um, and this isn't something that's mandated. Uh, this is just something right. that we all personally agree with within the chapter that we make sure that you know people are safe. We kind of like walk up to people that, you know, hey, how you doing? Uh, are you okay? You know, right. just do daily check-ins so that way people can feel comfortable in our spaces. So, um, you know, just watching the surroundings. That's one thing that people like. We when we throw parties. Because I know that's a common thing amongst people. Like when we throw parties and events, we are not. We don't drink. Oh, uh, so we stay sober. For the guests. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so we stay sober to make sure that if anything happens, if somebody passes out, we've got you know enough arms or enough bodies to make sure that they get to where they need to get safely. If it needs to be the hospital, it needs to be home. So that's something that we uh, in like implicitly uh, do within you know our social space.
have to contact national before we throw that event, um, our national headquarters, and that has and that has to be submitted within 21 days in, in advance. Oh. Yeah. So it's a whole process for us to get insurance, make sure that our parties run smoothly, do a whole bunch of promo. Um, but uh, how it's been, it's been, um, and I feel like this this uh, helps discuss our social like status on campus. Um, our parties are intended for everyone. Yeah. Yes, um, they're also fundraisers, um, but at the same time, we get a predominantly colored demographic. Yeah. Um, some people just you know they don't value our parties the same way they value other people that organize yeah, their parties. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's just how it is, and that doesn't really upset me personally. Um, but you're giving a space for minorities on campus, and so people... Yeah, yeah so the, and, and then that's, that's the goal. They're so comfortable. So if, if, you know, if it's only people of color at our functions, then, you know, we got the job done. Right, right. right. But um, it's open to everyone. Our events are open. And the interesting thing with that is, too, we've actually, you know, we're learning that because we're different, right, there's a certain expectation of people, right? So when we post on our Instagram page and everyone does our guerrilla marketing and say, okay, come to our event, right. and we ask people, Harry, come to our event, they're like, oh, I didn't get a Facebook invite, so I must not have been invited. And it's right. like, oh, no, 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 that's not, you know, it's, it's literally open to everyone. Yeah, like, we right? don't do that. We don't do that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think part of the issue is that some people automatically default in their mind, assume, oh, fraternity party, you know, if I, if my friend didn't send me a screenshot of this Facebook page that I can keep open on my phone long enough for someone to think that I got a Facebook invite and I can go. And that kind of reinforces this idea yeah. whether or not that some people want to say it is or not. Like, some people are going to believe that they're exclusive, right? Yeah. And we're trying to be all-inclusive, all-encompassing. And that when we say, hey, listen, if you see something, like, if you see, like, a flyer, like, you're invited because you, by nature of you having seen it. This is a content warning. Our next question about parties refers to a site on campus where sexual assault has occurred. We advise our listeners to take care of themselves. If you'd like to move past this, please skip to 25 minutes. And when you talk about sexual assault on this campus specifically, automatically talking about the barn, right? And that is a place that you guys have thrown, Alpha Alpha has thrown parties, right? Yes. So I think the, 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 the funny thing about this is that after that case, which I'm sure none of us were here mm-hmm. uh, for, after that uh, case and situation, the barn has been subject to communities of color and communities of color mm-hmm. because that's the only space that the campus provides for us to have right. as much, if you want to consider it as much fun as most of these predominantly uh, white organizations, group letter organizations, and we were kind of thrown into that position when we first got here because we didn't have a house for one um and that was the only place we could you know have they told you to use the barn they didn't they tell didn't us tell but us it's just like the, it's it's the, the social norms you do not have a physical space on campus that is big enough to hold exactly max over yeah, exactly. 50 people yes and that's what makes it tough is because right and and why the barn has such a bad stigma is because like when we have a party everyone's like why are you making us go to the barn right mm-hmm. it's like well that's the only space we have Right. And it's kind of difficult because everyone's like, well, you know, the, the non-black frats, the white frats get to have their parties in the mansions on South Main, right. and the students of color have to go to the barn, right? How, right. Does, that, how does that work? And that's right. why I think it's interesting that we're placed in this specific spot instead of on South Main, mm-hmm. where we can't really have much, the same amount of people that they can have there and here, because right. it's just over capacity. And there are plenty of females on yeah. South Main, you know? bigger 
And, and they've, they've right? offered us, they've, they've, there's, there's been, particularly this year going to next, um, a spot on, on South Main into a bigger place that if we were to throw a function could potentially, I guess, rival, air quotes, some of that, the size of some of the right. other fraternities on campus. But I think because this is small, because this is intimate, because this is a place where we can kind of come together, right? Why have a room with 12 beds if, you know, we're going to have six, seven people in it that are, you know, when we come together, we can all hang out in the living room, right? Um, we don't need three common room areas. Three common room areas would be nice for having a massive function, right? But outside of that, it's like, when we do have people and guests in this space, it's intimate, right? Um, we can sit down on the couch. We can go into the dining room and play cards. Um, the last time we had a kickback, it was literally, you know, people, we played music and people were in the dining room playing cards. That's what we did, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a different type of fun, right? You don't need to necessarily drink all the time. You don't necessarily need to be jumping up and down, dancing, spending all this energy. It's literally a place where you can come, relax, and hang out. Um, so it's kind of finding that balance. Do we want a place on South Main? Do we wish it was a little bigger? Yes. Um, but do we necessarily have to go there to have that fun, to have that space where we can kind of be intimate together? No. Um, so finding that balance, right? Why are there the spaces that involve primarily females of color usually surveilled heavily by campus safety? Right. Mm -hmm. That's another big question. But even if we want to throw a party somewhere else, like uh, the Cultural Connections House. Cultural Connections House, I just want to say that. It, it gets riddled with campus safety all the time. And the barn is patrolled more than... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then even if we throw a party yeah. at what used to be GP, uh, gets riddled by campus safety all the time. And that's just across the street from KA. Yeah. <laughs> right. The only time I see right. campus safety or anybody patrol those houses is if they literally call them to tell them the party's over. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. If they, the, they, there's a lot of problems with social spaces amongst we asked the guys about spray panning that occurred early that week with the No More project. They were one of the houses not sprayed. This is Lyndon responding to the other fraternities' conversations from a meeting. But don't spray paint our personal right, property. Right. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm like, in my mind, if that is your biggest problem and not the functionality of your organization on the campus, then that says a lot about you. You know. But your and house didn't get sprayed. Yeah. Yes. And that's what that's what we're talking about, right? Would we have reacted differently? I would like to I would like to think not, but also, right? That's also an opportunity because because my big thing is accountability is not an attack, right? A lot of people are like you're attacking me, you're attacking me, I feel threatened. But usually, the people that feel threatened or feel attacked are the people that have been in privilege, and it's when their privilege is being called into question that they kind of feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if all you're doing is tarrying with the fact that you're uncomfortable, that is perfectly fine because if your feelings are hurt, just your feelings are hurt. Versus people's safety and livelihood being, like, at jeopardy, right? And and again, right? It's it's holding up a disagreeable mirror, right? And kind of looking at yourself outside of the way you see yourself, and it's tough because, right? You want to call that out, and we want to be able to call that out, us as alpha alpha individuals, but we also want to be able to look at ourselves and say, how are we kind of responsible and kind of perpetuating these things on both the extreme and the subtle thing, subtle levels, right? Um, thing you want people, you know, if you could leave them with one thing about your organization. And about your so the social power you hold on this campus. What would it be? I don't know. That's a lot. <laughs> um, I, for me personally, I don't want to speak for, for everyone, but I'll just say for me personally, we're continually trying to reimagine and reconstruct um, social space and social power and kind of be all-inclusive. Um, and for the people that, you know, don't feel that that is the case, you know, 
please, in all sincerity and, and being genuine as I possibly can be, hold us accountable because we need to be better and we want to be. Like yeah, I like that. Hold us accountable. <laughs> um, but at the same time, stop putting us on a back burner. If we're yeah. talking about social capital, then Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated is really put on the back burner in regards to Greek life. Um, we actually do things and, and, and our service isn't just for the fact that we have to be I'm Josh Andrews. I'm a uh, senior. I currently live um, on the third floor of Sill House, so where we are right now. And well, I'm the president. Um, I'm Ethan. I'm a senior. I live on the second floor. Um, and I am the vice president. Uh, I am Tanner Arnold. Uh, I do not live on campus. I live downtown in an apartment, which is fantastic. And then I am our Derby Days chair, which is kind of our big philanthropy event we put on this spring. Um, so it's a year-long position for us, so I've been planning that and getting ready for it in the spring. So. And you're also a senior. Yes, yeah. sorry. We asked the boys about their physical space. Here's how they responded. We're going to be in our old house, so we kind of see the you know, the difference between the two spaces, but if you ask anyone who was um, initiated before us, they wouldn't call this the Sigma Chi house. They're like, oh, but the real house, you know, they talk about our old space on campus and how, like, that was home to them. Uh -huh. Where we're kind of floating, I, I feel because I've lived in this house now, this is my second semester living in the house, same with Ethan, and I feel like this is our home, because I did, wasn't in that house very often, but then all the new guys, and especially probably some of the, um, Younger students, you know, the sophomores, they don't even know that we had that old house, too. So it's kind of funny how the spaces have shifted. And, you know, we just recently, this past week, put letters finally on our house. It's also just the physical spaces on campus, how we're, we're very separate from those groups, just physically, not necessarily like, um, you know, we have similarities. We're both Greek, we're all Greek letter organizations, but I think the physical spaces on campus do definitely play, have an impact because when people are saying, oh, we're going to go to a fraternity house to party, I think because we're over here, we're not seen as a fraternity house in some instances. Then yeah, yeah, totally. we asked them how it differs living in the house versus living somewhere else on campus. Tanner responded. Not, not really. Okay. Uh, I, I did live here last fall, so okay. I, I kind of know the kind of ins and outs and what's kind of going on typically here in the house, and for me it's, other than the fact that I can't scan a one card to open the front door, that's the only thing that I feel like I am not able to do. I think I, if I just knock on the door or send a message in the group chat saying, hey, is anyone home to let me in, yeah. I'm kind of welcome back in yeah. here as if I lived here all the time. So I don't really see it as a difference. Um, I will say the only thing that I, I do miss is the, the little things that come out of nowhere that you can't plan for, so I'll, I'll hear stories the next day of, um, FIFA tournaments that just came out of the right, right, that I would, right, like, yeah. would have loved to have been there for it. I might feel like it's not their house, especially like we have a lot of people who are just like friends of the fraternity and they're always in and out of here. I don't know what they feel like as far as how this space is. So, I mean, I think from an inside perspective, it's a very like open, home, homey space. And especially because you've lived here before. Yeah. Um, but as far as someone who maybe hasn't lived here before, um, 
they might see differently. Yeah. As, as try as we might to make it as comfortable and accessible to everyone. That's just. Yeah, I um go along with that too. I think that so at the beginning of the semester we had I think fourteen guys living in the house and we only had I think eighteen brothers on campus. It was in that range. So really, the majority of the organization was. Or it might have been it might have been twelve um, guys living in the house, but you know the majority of the org organization was living in the house, which I think definitely contributed to you know different it had an impact on our organization for the better. Is that like oh when someone's late to a meeting you just go and knock on their door? It's a little bit of a different um, situation in that regard. But I um, kind of want to echo a little bit of what Ethan said of how you know it's a nice space and we try to be as open as we can. But I it's also tough trying to navigate. We just had a um, new pledge class of nine members and you know making sure that they feel as Tanner would feel even though Tanner lived in the house before that they we, we try hard to try to make sure they know that this is their home too even though we're the ones sleeping here. What, how do you not laugh? What are the best ways to do that? I think that it's really just like the little things like inviting you know all the guys watch you know they might watch a movie night and making sure everyone knows that, you know, you're welcome to come, or after a meeting we might come up and play FIFA and that kind of thing, and just making sure that the people who aren't living in the house kind of know what's going on in the house, so then they're able to come in and hang out, and, you know, those little things of, like, oh, we're all going to have burgers on the porch, come, come hang out. We then asked the guys about what we call the Wonka effect. It's kind of the idea of your space being very, very public, during the weekends and then becoming very, very private and no one really knows what goes on here um, on the weekdays. Um, and what does that feel like? Your space is both a very public space and a very private space. Also in the sense that this is a campus-owned house and so campus police can come in whenever they want um, and search rooms whenever they want. So that makes it very public and yet it is your home and it is it holds in the space for an organization and a group on campus, so that's a pretty private thing. What is that like? I think it's it's interesting that you phrase it that way, because for us it's, it, it, it is very much so public and private, because you end up having, I think, uh, as we're planning for an event this weekend, it's a big reminder that, well, we, we want to have people over here, this is still our house. Like, there are people who, Josh and Ethan, when that night is done, are sleeping here and staying here. This is where they are always. Um, so I think that private side of it is more of just, it's less of a trying to keep it private from people and not welcoming people in throughout the time, but it's a matter of they might want their piece and why. I know we have a brother downstairs right now working on a paper that's due on Monday. So it's not a matter of we don't want to keep it as open as possible, but it's a matter of it's the same kind of respect you'd expect going into a dorm room. If you want it to be quiet to be able to do your work, you want to be able to kind of have that space. Um, so I think sometimes that can get misconstrued as we're trying to hide things from the world. It's more or less there are just students in here who also want to relax and be able to kind of take that space to themselves and, and not have to worry about everything that's going on. So I don't, you know, the space as a space, like I want to care for it, but I'm more worried about everyone's safety. And that's where it gets to be a little bit more complicated because, you know, the best way to be open and inclusive is doors wide open. Anyone can walk in if they want to, you know. That's great, but then, you know, with that kind of inclusivity, you're also incurring a little bit of risk on yourself because I, you know, you want to be able to count on everyone and make sure that everyone's going yeah. to be a positive, um, you know, a positive influence in the environment, 
but that sometimes isn't always the case. And then if that were to occur, it's not, oh, that person did something bad in that space. It's, oh, this organization allowed this to happen. And I think that that's kind of the struggle that we have as a group trying to, you know, be that positive space on campus while also, um, you know, a little bit of maintaining our image, but also maintaining the safety of everyone who's involved. Yeah. Paige then asked how they think they're perceived by other fraternities on campus. Kind of two things kind of stick in my head, just being brutally honest. I think first off, I hope that we come off kind of like a little bit of a nerdy group of guys. You know, we're not too, we don't really care that much if people think we're nerdy. I know I'm pretty nerdy, just being brutally <laughs> honest. But then I think another thing, you know, especially with recent events on campus and, you know, our geographical location on campus, I think we're also seen a little bit as irrelevant. You know, I've actually had in um, discussions, you know, when people come to our recruitment events, they, I've been, I used to do the recruitment chair, so I was um, reaching out to people and someone referred to us as anti-fraternity, like anti-frat, so, which is definitely a different, you know, and there's positive and negatives to that because, you know, the positive is that we're not recognized in the same light as, you know, maybe national fraternity organizations would, and there's all that. But we all, we also are still a part of the Greek community on this campus, and we are pretty happy to be a part of that community, and we want to be involved with the other houses, so there's a little bit both sides of that. We noticed that many of the presidents said that this is the year that fraternities have gotten along the best. Here's what Josh had to say when we asked him about it. I think, you know, from my experience, I don't think that there was ever that much ill will between, you know, I think that that's another bit of the irrelevancy playing in, just being <laughs> honest, like, we kind of did our own thing, and they did their thing, I, you know, I don't think that we were really friendly with the other groups from, you know, my early years, you know, sophomore year and junior year, but I also don't think that there was, like, you know, bad blood between yeah, our yeah. groups, I think it was yeah. just, we kept to ourselves, and that's one thing that's nice, is we have been starting to, you know, reach out to each other on campus and do a bit more of um, co-sponsored events and that kind of thing. But I wouldn't say, you know, we were fighting in the past, though, either. After talking for a while with the Sigma Chi brothers, Tanner gave us some background on why he decided to join a frat. Everyone in this room saying that I, I had no... Yeah. If you had asked me before I came to college, I would have told you there's no shot I'm joining a fraternity. <laughs> um, and it was still most of my first year here I didn't think I was going to. Um, it was kind of a, I met a lot of people that were part of this organization not knowing they were part of this organization. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I don't know if you know Marcel Johnson, graduated last mm -hmm. year. He was my OM and just said, mm -hmm. you know what, we're having a little bit get together, just hang out at the house tonight. If you want to come by, feel free to. And I walked in and I saw 10 people that I had met from different things and different like kind of parts of involvement that I had been interested in. And I was like, all right, if, if all these people that I know well at this point and like kind of trust what they're saying to me or telling me that this organization is something that I should be a part of, I, I, I can't really argue and I don't think I would ever go back and change that decision. So definitely for me it was more or less just like a spur of the moment and it kind of just happened to be the right people at the right time and uh, again it was not something that I think my friends are even more surprised than I was that I had joined a fraternity. The, the rush atmosphere that's kind of created here on campus is very overwhelming for the most part. Um, a lot of the time you go into a space of 40 some odd people who all know each other very well at that point and then you are expected to kind of just talk to all of them. So uh, I know that if it hadn't been for the sake that I had already known 
eight or nine people going into that room, I would have felt the same way. And the chances of me being there in the fall versus the spring would have been very different just because it, it can be really difficult to to feel like you got to know someone that well that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I think that's why a lot of fraternities see big turnout in fall and less in the spring. With us, it's pretty split every time with the numbers because we end up having guys who it doesn't make a difference to us what semester you choose to, and we'd rather you feel more comfortable and know the people here and kind of just take that time that you need to figure it out and mm-hmm. come back in the spring then. Because it, it really, there isn't much of a difference between uh, being involved in the events or the just being in the house if you're a part of the organization or not. So if you are close with the brothers and you want to get to know people here, we're more than welcome to have people come in and out. And then that usually ends up being the case in the spring is that people get to know everyone a little bit better and then feel we asked if they thought that being in a fraternity gave them access to more on campus. Here's how Ethan and Josh responded. That's a tricky question because I think that often, like, when people rush SIG, that they do it because they know the people in it already. It's not because you know the name Sigma Chi, and that kind of sticks with us as people, like, on campus. Like, most people, when I go into, like, I'm, I'm the president of, like, Hobart Tones, and I'm in Corral, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of other stuff on campus, so people usually know me from that. And then they'll also know, oh, you're in Sigma Chi. I know, like, this guy from there. So there, it helps a lot with connections in that regard. But, like, as f- far as, like, actually making yourself known as a person, it doesn't yeah. really It On the service, people might think, oh, it's, you know, to gain more social clout and, you know, to be what, better known on campus. But I feel like no one really, you know, no one, unless they know, if they know me, they know that I'm in a fraternity yeah. or in, you know, a president of a fraternity. But... If they don't know me, being in Sigma Chi won't make them know me. It doesn't make me more, you know, publicized. <laughs> yeah. Josh responded well when we asked if it was difficult to introduce yourself to people outside of Greek life. Here's what he said. Yeah, and I kind of agree with that, too. I mean, it's, you know, very rare instances where people will actually, you know, choose to. It's not the people you're closest with. These are the people you're closest with understand your reasoning for joining an organization. And I think that that's... Um, you know, one of the, you know, if someone chooses to no longer be close with you because you joined an organization, then, you know, there might be bigger issues than that. Maybe it wasn't, you know, meant to really work out in the end anyway. But I think that, you know, talking about, you know, how it affects you on campus, one of my biggest things is I never am quite sure if I should wear Greek letters to classes. And that's, you know, because it's not even that I'm, not proud to be a member of a Greek organization, but I think a great example is um, when I was wearing, or when I, um, a professor found out, my advisor found out that I was joining an organization, she was very concerned and she talked to me for about 30 minutes of like, is this actually something you want to be doing? You know, and that's kind of because she didn't know much about our organization and she was just concerned about, you know, what she hears on the news, which makes sense. And, you know, that's something that you always kind of want to be worried about. So whenever I, you know, it's always uncomfortable because, you know, I'm the president of fraternity. I spend a lot of time working with the fraternity. And, you know, that's where even in class, sometimes I'll be like thinking, okay, what do I need to, you know, what should we be doing next? But I sometimes feel like I should hold that back in the classroom setting because I don't want to have, I don't want to um, have the organization misrepresent myself. But it's kind of tough, too, because then at the same time, I'm not able to represent the organization. 
We asked the SIG guys what they thought the perfect pledge was, and here's how Tanner and Josh responded. The, that's the thing is, there, to me, there's no ideal pledge, brother. It's, you know, everyone's different, and what makes you ideal are the differences. Like, you know, we, like, it's great to be able to cultivate the differences and allow people to be an individual on campus, and that's something that I think we really try to do is, yeah, we're all brothers in Sigma Chi, and we all have, you know, these um, values that are found in the Jordan Standard or whatever, but it's really about how can we as an organization support you to be different from us. Yeah. And I think, too, like, going back to the point of, of bit selection being our, or it really is, it's, I personally hate being the person, like, I, I don't like that I have to, especially, as I mentioned earlier, the rush process, if I have, if that's my first chance to meet somebody, that's the only information we are basing this entire process on. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and it, it can really feel as if you, kind of that, that whole idea of, of, of social power comes into play because all of a sudden you're the one making that decision yeah, uh, and changing their entire future. It's, it's an awful it's an awful feeling to have, that, especially when, uh, again, it's we, we feel that we are a very open space, but I have heard that sometimes people, when they don't get the bid that they're expecting to get, that those first, maybe that first month afterwards, they're like, I didn't really feel as comfortable as I, like, we, ex we want them to feel. Like, that's, a, a lot of the times, the people that we don't extend a bid to, and I, I think it's a, a more common occurrence here than, than probably most places, that we actually then continue to ex we extend them a bid the next semester, because the, the reason they didn't get one wasn't because we didn't feel we, comfortable with them. We, or want we them. wanted to get to we know just them didn't, better. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to know them better, and wanted them to know us better before yeah. that either kind of had to make an, an upfront decision that they didn't feel comfortable doing. So I think that, again, comes into the process of none of us enjoy doing it, but also we recognize the fact that by in doing it, we inherently will push people away and kind of make decisions that will change their future here, which is not a, not a, not a pleasant feeling to have uh, when you're going through that. But uh, as Josh said, unfortunately, it is something that you can't just let this naturally led us to discussing diversity or lack thereof within Greek life on campus. Yeah, I um, definitely, I think that that's something we're also striving toward to be is we recognize that we're at a predominantly white institution, but just because that's the case doesn't mean that we can't all be, you know, we can't all have differences in diversity relating to um, lots of different things, you know, upbringing, um, race and sexuality, obviously, but I think it's also just something tough that we're constantly trying to navigate as a social organization on this campus, how we can, you know, genuinely, you know, work to um, improve our diversity and be a positive presence on this campus where people would be more um, welcome here than that. But I mean, and you can go through and look at our brothers and you can say whether it's diverse or not, but I think you know, diversity, you can talk about it as a statistical sense, but you can also talk about it as, like, more of a, like, um, goal and, like, a characteristic mm -hmm. of your organization of, like, you can be, you might not seem very diverse, but you can still be a very diverse organization because that's something you're constantly keeping in mind, and at the same time, you could statistically be a very diverse organization, but maybe that's not something that you're really valuing as an organization. Yeah. So you go off of that, it's kind of hard to 
like strive for diversity without tokenizing anyone. Like you yeah, can't just be like, totally. oh, we need black people in the fraternity. Right. Like, like yeah. it, it's yeah. you can't yeah. just do that. And part of the problem that I think a lot of people run into is they're not willing to go into the spaces mm-hmm. where other people are to kind of show, like, it's for lack of a better way of saying it, they're not genuine in mm-hmm. when they do it or. They're doing it with a clear like mindset, like this is why I'm doing this. It's not to just get to know other people better, and to make sure that you have a lot of different viewpoints and cultural perspectives in the people you associate with, um, and and that's what you get yeah. kind of from looking at it in a statistic sense. Like, um, so there's a lot of issues that I think people run into when they start trying to tackle diversity. Um, especially in predominantly white spaces where it's really hard to convince people of color to be like, hey, come to this very white space, because yeah. why the hell would they? Um, mm-hmm. Unless they know someone there already. So that's part of like why it's right. so great as SIGs that we're not known um, mainly for being in Sigma Chi first. It's, it's, um, we're kind of spread out through campus and we all do our own individual things and that's mm-hmm. kind of how people get to know us. Yeah. And I think that's oh. the best kind of recruit. And that, that's like a lot of, um, we had a, a pretty diverse pledge class this, this semester. And I think that's what got me, um, most was that a lot of the guys who were in there were like, well, I didn't know most of you guys as SIGs. I'm, I'm just, I knew you guys on campus. We discussed stigma which led to the discussion of the no more spray paint. They were one of the houses not sprayed. Here's what Josh said. I walked around and didn't see anything. I'm like, no, and a lot of people, I think, within our organization, they wanted to say, oh, it's because we're seen as different. But then I thought for a second, like, no, because that's, you know, Greek life is different on this campus. It's not like they're singling out specific organizations. They're singling out Greek life as a type of organization. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the first thing that came to mind is like, oh, they, they missed us. I never really thought that, um, you know, I, w- I had hoped that we were seen as different, you know, but in different meaning different from the stereotype, not different from the organizations on campus, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think that although our physical space wasn't tagged, we were still tagged as a member of Greek life. That's where our conversation with Sig Kai naturally ended. Last, but certainly not least, was our interview with the sorority on campus, Theta Phi Alpha. So, I'm Alexa. I, I, oh, I live in the house, um, which is the current Beta Sigma house. So, it's our sorority's house, but it's more of a theme house because we don't have our letters outside. It just happens to be where a lot of us tend to live. Um, I am a senior this year, and I, I'm the president, yeah. That's what I am. <laughs> My name is Gabriella. I go by Gabby. Um, I live here at Beta Sigma as well. I'm a junior and I'm vice president. All right, cool. Um, okay, so we have a bunch of questions, but I guess we'll just start with like the history of. It's called a sorority, correct? Yeah. I think there's some like some people say it's yes. a female fraternity. Some yes. people say it's a sorority. Yeah. <laughs> Will you just like talk about like how you got onto HWS campus? Yeah, so we are a women's organization or female identifying organization. So we're actually one of the first panhellenic organizations that identify anyone who is female or will accept anyone who's female identifying regardless of 
like what society might define them as long as you're female identifying you're welcome so um that's kind of our panhellenic is like the group of women's organizations that come together it's so the same way all the males have interfraternal council we have panhellenic council um which is like our national governing body so we were 1912 so we're not as old as some but older um on the grand scheme of things founded in ann arbor michigan we went into this discussion under the impression sororities weren't allowed on our campus. Here's what Alexa said. Beforehand, like, history of William Smith is actually kind of interesting. Like, William Smith College was founded on the idea of it should be, like, a for, like sorority for women in and of itself. Like, the idea is that, like, William Smith College is supposed to be a place for, like, the ideals of sorority of, like, building women up, like, academic excellence. Those things should be held within the college itself. So a lot of the older alumni had a lot of pushback on it. Um... And it's definitely, after a while, it's hard in modern-day Greek identity to bring new organizations to campus. Um, but an organization, there also wasn't a push. Like, there wasn't as much of a push and a drive from students to do it. So student activities never really met that demand because it didn't exist. Do you think your social power or even your presence would be different if there were other sororities on campus? Is that something you think you would like, just bare bones first? Do you think that would be something you guys would as a sorority would like to have more, would there, like, I don't know, more camaraderie maybe? Um, I think it would be camaraderie once we have two more organizations. I think having mm -hmm. one more organization would cause conflict, yes. but a, a nice little trio going on would be the golden triangle <laughs> that we're looking for. Because two would seem like we're competing yeah. against each other for a lot of things. Right. Yeah. Like the fraternities, we asked Theta what their perception was on campus. I would say like it really varies depending on your relationship to the organization because I have friends that know very closely what I do that aren't in the organization that kind of are able to be more, I don't say understanding, but like to, I'll see a little bit more on the inside of like actually what we do and like kind of what we value and like why we do this as opposed to others who might have the same stigma or there's that like third part of like they're actually just kind of a weird group of people that found each other it's like an island of misfit toys type scenario which all might be a little true but you know <laughs> i also think people see us as a group of leaders that just like because all of our sisters are in some type of way their own leaders around campus just like scattered yeah. in like other places but then we all come together and like we share these these qualities that we have, but at the same time, we also have other leaders here. Because we're all like leaders in different ways. There's yeah. like a lot of different branches, which makes planning very difficult <laughs> for meetings because everyone's like consistently doing everything, but in a very like different sense. Like I would say like we have athletes, we have non-athletes, like we have very different clubs, even like languages. I know that we have four languages that have club leaders in them right now and things like that. So like... It's like like even the most random things like we definitely diversify. So it depends on like what lens you're looking into us on and what you know already. I think the relationship amongst Greeks and maybe not like individual Greek members, but like Greek organizations as a whole has evolved so much in the last year. And we'll all kind of like so I, we all like we joke that we have like this Godfather like scenario where like the seven presidents come together and we'll chit chat about like what's going on and we like find comfort in sharing each other's struggles. So like when I have another president be like, Does anyone else's house have like XYZ problem in terms of, like a physical problem? And I'm like yeah, yours also. You also have molds. Like we have mold. Like that's so cool. I'm like sharing in that pain, um, and then like we're able to like use each other to problem solve. But it really depends on the day because when we do things like that, sometimes we all value different. 
means of getting things done. So like some of us really value like the immediate action. Some of us are like, okay, delayed gratification, let's wait this one out and see what happens. And like we have the different approaches just organizationally. I think like socially that's kind of how it takes shape. But like this is the first time all the organizations have really started working together. So this identity of like who we are to each other has completely evolved because Mm -hmm. probably going into this year, I wouldn't have been close or asked any of the other organizations for much help other than one or two. And now I feel like I could confidently reach out to any of them and be like, hey, like help, (laughs) We we need your house for something. A question that came up multiple times when discussing perception was, how do you introduce yourself to strangers? Do you include that you're part of Greek life? Um, you mentioned before that, like, you introduce, a lot of times you introduce yourself and you say, like, or two people, you tell them that you're in a sorority. Do you generally get, like, a good, good feedback from that? Or do you, like, not, would you guys necessarily introduce yourself as being in Theta or not? I guess what I'm trying to say. I probably have a which, much more eloquent no, I know what you mean. On, what are the most common responses to you saying you're in a sorority? Yeah. I'm curious about that on oh, you pay our for campus. Oh, is that no, that's, really? That's, one of the, that's yeah. the biggest one. On campus or in, in general? Because you pay after pay dues. Yeah. You pay, you pay for People friends. say that's your face. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so, yeah. That's all. That. Really friends crazy. have said that's my face. <laughs> okay, it's kind of bizarre. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. the most common thing. You I would say it's up there. Like, you it's pay for your friends. Oh, my favorite is why. Oh. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, thank you. Let me elaborate. What do you say? Do you answer it? What do you say? Yeah. It depends on the context. I feel like I have, like, because especially, like, okay, I'm a senior now. I'm, like, interviewing and stuff like that. And I'm, like, okay, I want to use this and talk about my leadership. Yeah, and they're, yeah, like, you're yeah. in a sorority. And I'm, like, yes, and let me explain to you all the reason that's good. Please don't judge yeah, me. Right. And I have to have that, like, defense mechanism of, like, I'm in a sorority. But before you say anything, let me tell you all the reasons why I'm not like the typical sorority girl. Like, I'm different, which I think is a part of the cycle of the problem of everyone being, like, but I'm not like that. Um, like I'm different because I think almost every single Greek organization, male or female, is different from like mm-hmm. this idea of what they're supposed to be built up to be. Yeah. Another one. So you're not a feminist. Oh. <laughs> People say that. Wow. Well, okay, well, so they, you hate do they women? Understand, <laughs> do they understand the definition of feminism? I don't think they do. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And there's like this stigma that, around yeah. it that well, you like, have to like kind of dodge. S- we are a sorority and like that is um primarily like connected to party culture and like all that but we do so much more like like people don't know our goal our goal is to help homelessness we have we host a lot of philanthropic events and fundraisers like last year just we raised four hundred dollars and we donated some to family promise um which they like host homeless families per week and then they go from church to church and then we just like donated things we made tie blankets like yeah, we do a lot of things that people don't know about. You guys should look at the organization Mother's Mother. William Smith parties and parties for the sorority work differently than the Hobart ones. Okay, I want to talk about party culture because I think it's different for you. Like, what are you allowed to do? Are you allowed mm-hmm. to do it? There was, I think, a project in our class a few years ago about female space on campus and how females couldn't have, or like, organized parties over... Ten people or something like that, and I'm wondering how that's if that's different now. If it is, like, are you allowed to host events? No, no, no. Like without alcohol, oh, without or, like sanctioned twenty one. Uh, or like doing the whole like what the guys were telling us yesterday it was like you register it on Monday with Kim, and then by Friday she approves it, and then you have what, a party. A, spon- a spontaneous. 
Yeah. The spontaneous gathering. The spontaneous <laughs> gathering is half the half the what is it? Half the amount of people in the house plus one, plus one is the definition of what the number is for a spontaneous okay. gathering. It's so bizarre. That's awesome. <laughs> that's how that's how technically the school defines right, spontaneous right, right. gathering. Right, right, right. Oh, <laughs> one. I don't know. Okay. Plus one. I don't know. Because well, then it's like one if your whole house is yeah, then <laughs> half the house friend. has to leave. Yeah. yeah. It's, so um, funny. it's an interesting system, but so. We kind of have this weird pickle where we have our national guidelines of what our organization allows and our organization, um, we're a dry house. Any comment, so we're not owned by our organization or owned by the schools, but since our house is commonly known as, in like a very legal sense, we qualify as property that is going to be governed by our national policy because like we put our letters up and it becomes our space. Um, But our national policy is we can't have alcohol in the house. And if we went to an event to host something somewhere else, whether it be another Greek house or off campus, it has to be third-party cash-only bar. Um, So it has to be a vetted organization with their own insurance that can serve. Alexa and Gabby talked about their unique physical space and how it compares to others. Theme house with the theme of Thetafy. Yeah, so only Thetafy members can live here. No. Okay. So we're a theme house in the sense where we're maintenanced by Res Ed, but we're a Greek house in the sense that we're run by student activities. Okay. So when we report in terms of like our house card, things like that, we report to student activities. Um, but when it comes to like who lives in what room, keys, all those fun things, we report to Res Ed. So we have two officials that we get on. Okay. That's great. And you have enough <laughs> numbers to fill this house. Um, we fluctuate, but okay. we currently have a couple non-sisters living in the house just because this way the space fills, um, yeah. and since we're an open house, because we're not necessarily an exclusively Greek house, we're that theme house, okay. we welcomed other people into our house. Um, we do keep this space as female identifying though. Okay. Um, so. Do you feel that, um, having non-sorority members in the house changes dynamics or anything? How does that affect the space of it as a sorority house? I think at the beginning it did because like we didn't know them at all. Yeah. But then now it's just like they're our friends. Yeah. Maybe some sisters might have some issues sometimes, but it's like it's a house. <laughs> Everyone yeah. can have some. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. You know, like uh, it's cool. You know, some of the like you know we're talking about um, physical space with the fraternities and how their houses are these like massive like beautiful houses that you see the second you drive in onto yeah. campus and is there like frat row forge culture yeah, yeah. air um, quotes we're doing air quotes yeah air quotes um and i wonder like do you guys like being down the street do you wish you were closer and like in the mix of what's happening i don't know you i guess you and alpha file have very different i'm not positive we're sick Two houses down, yeah. From so here. they're on this side. Okay, so yeah. they're on this side. So like, people yeah. who aren't are in organizations or in, involved in Greek life who aren't necessarily like in that that corner, right? Yeah, it's Nick not. Nick has a porch. They, they have a they porch, right? You guys don't. And you don't. No. For the back patio. They have a patio. Right. But or like even like before you were involved in Greek life, like was there something we've heard like a lot of people were uncomfortable like walking down south main to get downtown or like and in general because people are out on their porches and i don't know i mean part of it also comes with like it's it's the equivalent of like having a group project and all living in the same dorm it's really easy to be like all right guys everyone come to like j3 we're gonna work on the project and just bang it out tonight um 
when it comes to like planning and conversation, it's really easy for me to text like my Kai brothers and be like, Hey, like I want to throw this together. Come on over. Let's chit chat. Um, mm-hmm. it's harder for me to like go all the way down and be like, yo, okay. Like let's do something as I'm like yelling across the street. Right. Um, even just like we have a president's class and we all walk home together. Like, yeah, it's, we all, we, there's a clear divide oh, of the two yeah. directions. So I think it makes logistically a little difficult, but I think that like, I don't know if it would necessarily change socially because we can't host in our house. Like, I think that question carries different weight for, like, the two other fraternities as opposed to our organization. Yeah. Um, because there is that inherent divide. How is Theta involved in philanthropy? Do you have different... I don't know if it would be um, based on organization or school or even if there, you have that all, but do you have different, like, responsibilities or um, quotas or... I mean, philanthropic. Yeah, versus the fraternities on campus or like requirements or if that makes sense. Like you have to have five events or, you know. We give ourselves goals. So okay. We're like, okay. okay, we're going to host at least four philanthropy events this semester. But like, they just like to see that we're doing things. Yeah. Like there's not, yeah. like a there's not a requirement. We have like a very basic requirement saying like you have to have philanthropy events yeah. or like you have to have this, this, and this. And if the national's office is like, hey, you're not doing those things, that's when they start being like, okay, now you have to have three a semester. Um, so we've been pretty independent the past year because like we were very dependent when we first were founded um, on campus. I think it differs from the guys in different ways. So we're geared more towards um, philanthropic motives, whether that's necessarily giving money, doing things, giving time, giving resources. Um, I know different organizations are geared towards their national offices looking for monetary donations and things like that. So it depends on, like, the pressures that your national office is holding on you. On campus, there's no specific anything we really have to do. Yeah, we have to... uh, The president has to show up to IFC once a week for an hour. That's the only guideline the school really puts on us. And then, like, you know, the basic safety things, like, don't burn your house down, yeah, like, be yeah, a good yeah. person. Alexa and Gabby explained recruitment and the generic sorority girl. Question about recruitment. Are you allowed to recruit first years? No. Okay. That's a general for everybody. No first That years. is a HWS policy okay. that's implemented in a lot of other universities. Um it's not necessarily nationally supported. Like, I know our national office is, like, kind of... Because their perspective is, like, well, then you get another year of sisterhood and you get another year in. Because when you rush your sophomore year, um, you go through one semester of recruitment and you go through one semester. So we have a six-week new member ed process, um, which means you're a new member for six weeks um, at a minimum before you can be initiated to kind of learn about our history and our values and stuff. So... We have initiation this year on November 3rd, which was the physical earliest day we could have done it. Um, and even then, you lose the whole semester almost. Because yeah. then you kind of go into Thanksgiving, and then it's finals. And, like, love you guys, but it's finals season. Right. Bye. Right. Right. Um, so our national office. But on the school side, it's, well, retention rate and, like, you're pledging. So your grades go down. And it's kind of just this verbal vomit of reasons why not. Huh. I don't know where I stand on it. And you'd think, like... I don't know if this applies to guys, but girls, I think, like, get in there. By sophomore year, they're, like, in their little spot with their friend group. And it might be harder for them to, like, I'm not saying they have to leave that friend group, but, like, go off and do something completely separate that doesn't involve their friends. If not all of their friends are joining the sorority as well. Sophomore year seems like a 
time of like solidification for those yeah. groups. Yeah. So it's being like, and oh, while it is also a time right. of like second chances, like yeah. I know for my, I was an athlete and I um, was on my athletic team and I kind of just wasn't feeling it and I left and kind of joined, I didn't leave, I joined the sorority and when I kind of started feeling of what a team should be, what a family should be, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm like transitioning into the sorority. Yeah. Um, that's not to say you can't do both, but for me, like, I wanted to go deeper in this and kind of pay back what it gave to me, because, yeah. like, it gave me, like, I look at myself, like, socially as kind of like an island of misfit toys situation, where, like, I found other people who might not necessarily have one group, but a lot of, like, different friends, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's kind of a common thread with us. Yeah. Yeah. Like, That's interesting. Do you think socially, I, when you're around, I feel a lot of people come into our recruitment events and are, like, not, like, nervous, but just, like, don't know what to expect. Yeah. Because, like, there is that running stigma. And some some chapters of our organization and some organizations do this where it's, like, okay, for recruitment, all the sisters will be wearing jeans and a pink top and, like, brown wedges. Like, that <clears> is something that a lot of chapters do, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not the dynamic of our chapter yet. So every organization, like, more so than just, like, the name of the organization, but, like, every individual chapter on campus has its own identity that's start to form. Yeah. Like our conversations with fraternities, we made sure to ask about the No More Spray Paint project. Alexa then talked about social change on campus. We fall into both categories. We are Greek women. Right. And then, okay, so it's kind of an attack on Greek life, which we're always going to be included in. Yeah. But then at the same time, we have to stand with like other women because yeah. like, that affects us too. You guys are in a really strange position. Yeah. Do you feel a pressure often on campus or as to be part of that to like we walk a very fine line yeah. already with like school nationals and now greek and women interesting it's like we don't want to do something that's going to affect the other and then it's going to come back to like hurt us in a way but i don't know it's hard to separate kind of the means and the motive if that makes sense yeah. so like we really like, obviously, like, no matter what end of the day, every single organization on this campus, whether it be Greek or not, supports the idea of let's raise conversation, let's raise awareness, let's end rape culture, all those fun things. Um, but at the same time, I think the means is where we can all differ. And I think in our organization itself has differing opinions about um, how to and things like that. And I think a united front perspective is, like, Yes, like, we really do support our brothers, and I can confidently say, and this will be my opinion, like, you can put me in a room with any of those Greek brothers, and I would might feel uncomfortable, I might want to, like, break a window and crawl out due to, like, complete and utter silence, but I would never feel unsafe, and I put a lot of confidence in our Greek counterparts, because I do think they are putting in the work, and I will back them on that. That's not to say the way they always show that is the most effective, so it kind of goes on both sides, I think, and even for our organization, like, Every organization doesn't always show what they're trying to show in the most clear and, like, effective way, but at the same time, um, we all can kind of support the same goal. Same thing, like, teetering that line of, like, women in Greek. Like, we can teeter that line, but at the end of the day, we all kind of, we want to support both sides, and it's going to be how we show it that really makes the difference. So, in terms of, like, specifically to, like, the taggings, like, obviously, we do stand with our Greek counterparts Mm -hmm. and kind of... um, I sympathize with them because it was part of it was like um, not college owned property. It was like organizationally owned property. Um, and it is definitely like hard to kind of come outside and say that to your house. And like, yes, I do think it, their approach was strategic. And I think both sides were strategic in it. And I think um, at the end of the day, we all kind of have to see like we're all on the same side trying to have the same goal. And it's just a matter of 
everyone's going to take a different approach. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going in circles. It just means yeah. that, like... I mean, I think, like, the biggest thing to take away on campus is that, like, there is a lot of stigma about Greek life not doing, like, enough philanthropy and them just kind of being, like, an organization. Like, you buy your friends, like, you hate women, all those fun things. But, like, the reality of it is a lot of times we'll do things and people don't come. So, like, mm-hmm. we'll do fundraisers, we'll do events and things like that, car but no, but, yeah, we did, a, we brought a car, Gabby literally found this man <laughs> to give us an old car and got a couple sledgehammers from buildings and grounds, and we're, like, Venmo us a dollar and beat this car, um, and, like, no one really came, yeah. so it's hard because we have the stigma of, like, they don't do anything, they're just buying their own friends, right. like, whatever, but when we try to do things, we get pushback of, like, we don't want to keep doing things and no one really comes. So them. I guess, like, the best way to start social change is, like, we can do our best to provide those outlets, and same thing with the guys, like, they yeah. do things all the time, and, mm. well, it's always different for every house, but, like, it's hard to keep the motivation to continue to change when there's not the bite back, so, like, it's gonna have to meet in the middle at some point, and it might be more work for the Greek houses to cultivate that change, it's going to have to have buy-in at some point. And that's my little spiel of... I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. I think that is good. And it's nice to hear that you guys are, like, friendly with the... I know. I, I don't know. That. that you don't feel like you're, like, only only woman in the room in a negative way all the time. That you have yeah. a friendship, I, I guess. I would say it's never, like... It's never negative, but it's definitely a challenge that both sides address. Because... And I'll even sit down with, like, I'm definitely, like, we're obviously, uh, houses are closer to some houses than others, like, just in terms of, like, how they get along, and I've sat down with some, and they've been like, what do you think I should do? And I'm like, well, this is what I would do, but that's also coming from my voice. So, like, especially when it comes to the spray painting and things like that, like, I can say something, but the weight that it's going to have is going to be held very differently than, like, a different organization saying it. So... Thank you for listening to episode two of Who Do You Know Here? Please tune in to our third and final episode coming soon. Thank you to Linden for our incredible music. You can find other things he's made on his Instagram, which we've linked below and on our Instagram.